Hello. <laughs> How are you all? I hope you're having a good day. hope you're having a good summer. Some days uh, it feels like, you know that uh, verse in, in Revelation, uh, Revelation, I think, where it's describing the new heavens and the new earth, and it says, and there will be no sun, <laughs> for God himself will be their light. Thanks for that. Sounds like Glasgow. You know what I mean? <laughs> there will be no sun. Um, it's peeping through somewhat. Um, I uh, don't know how your week's been. Uh, my week, my week has been. Oh my goodness! If anyone, uh, if anyone follows me on uh, on Twitter or Facebook, um, you know, I mean, 165 square meters of turf. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's the sort of thing you can say, 165, I've ordered 165 meters of turf. But when that 165 meters of turf actually arrives in your driveway, it can look somewhat intimidating. Uh, but I, uh, I laid 165 meters of turf uh, this week. I know, I know. Thank you. Um, I, I have to say, it did feel like that scale of achievement. Um, but if I'm feeling, you know, if I'm looking rather disheveled uh, in appearance, or if I kind of keel over halfway through this message, you will know why. Uh, anybody who does kind of physical graft on a daily basis, you know, in their job, I've, I have newfound respect <laughs> for them. You know, people like me who just kind of push paper around and occasionally wag a finger at a kid. That's about as energetic as I get, you know, at school. Don't do that again, young man. Um, goodness gracious, I'm still, reco- I'm still in recovery. I don't know if I'll ever get out of recovery, but I'm still recovering. But it's been a good week. Hope you've had a good week too, and it's great that you could be with us this morning. If we haven't met us, uh, John Luke said my name's Phil, and it's fantastic that you could be with us this morning. Um, Andy uh, Merrick, who leads this church, uh, has been doing a little series recently. Uh, I don't know if you've picked up on it. It's quite an unusual thing uh, in Hope Church for there to be any kind of pattern to the preaching. Uh, so you may have missed it. <laughs> you may have missed it. But he's, he's been doing a little series on, on the church and basically seeking to answer this question, well, what's, what's the church for? Which is a, you know, it's a good question to ask, you know. You might ask yourself that. You might be asking yourself that right now. What on earth are we doing here? Uh, and I just want to kind of come in a wee bit into, into that series and, uh, and add some of my own thoughts in uh, for you this morning. And we're going to be in, in a passage that we have looked at before in this, but um, there's a few things that I want to say about it in Genesis chapter 28. And we're going to be reading from verse 10. This is a story where I think the context is incredibly important. I mean, that's true. That's just true for all stories in the Bible. You know, we need to know the sort of context in which they're, they're, uh, they come to us in. But uh, this uh, is a story that you can just lift it out. It's about J- Jacob, um, and, you know, he's walking around, and he falls asleep, and he has a dream, and, uh, and then he wakes up. Uh, that's the story. It's a lot more interesting than that, as we'll see when we read it. Uh, but the context that w- in which this story comes to us is really interesting because Basically, Jacob is a man on the run uh, at the start of this story. Uh, Jacob, if you don't know, is one of the kind of towering figures of the Old Testament, not because he's a particularly great man, but almost because of the opposite. 
because he's a bit of a double dealer and a schemer, and he, he often gets, gets it wrong. He's desperately insecure. He has a terrible relationship with his family. And for all that, God chooses him and uses him mightily to advance his purposes. And uh, when we come to him at this story, uh, Jacob is, is on the run from his brother, uh, Esau, because he has just defrauded him. He has robbed him. He has tricked his father, who was dying and blind at the time. What a horrible guy. And he has robbed his brother of the birthright, the blessing of the firstborn, uh, which was due to go to Esau and which came to Jacob. And, and Esau, uh, Esau is the kind of guy who I would imagine would have no problem laying 165 square meters of turf. I mean, he was a pretty robust character, and uh, he basically said, you know, and that kind of, you can imagine, you know, in that really kind of passive-aggressive, threatening way, okay, we're going to wait till the old man's dead, and then I'm going to kill you, you know, and, uh, and that's what he said to his brother, he said, we're going to wait till the old man's dead, and then I'm going to kill you. So Jacob did what, you know, um, any reasonable person would do, and he went, ha! ran for his life. Uh, and uh, and he's, on, so he's on the run. This is a man who is fearing, fearing death and who is, is you know, has, he's left his father. He'll never see him again. Uh, he won't see his, the rest of his, he won't see his mother again, actually. He won't see his brother for years. And, and uh, he's in a terrible way. And he's, he's panicking and maybe exhausted and in the desert, and he, he gets tired, and he falls asleep. And that is the context in which this incredible thing happens to him, which we're going to read now from verse 10 in chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place, and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood, some translations say above it, but it can also be translated beside him, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at uh, the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of of all that you give me, I will give you a, f- give a full tenth to you. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you're standing among us right now and that, Holy Spirit, you live within us. And God, we just invite you again into our hearts and to well up within us. And we invite you to to speak to us this morning and to help us to understand your word. Lord, would you move among us, Lord? You know where each one of us is at. You know the condition of our hearts and the place that we have come to in our lives. You know what we're running towards and what we're running away from. And Lord, we have this moment together this morning where we can realize that you're here and we didn't even know it. So come to us, Lord, and do amazing wonders in our midst, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Is is the microphone all right? Is everything fine? Yeah, great. Okay. Um, So this is interesting as a passage because this is in the Bible, one of the first mentions of this concept of a house of God, which of course, and that concept will grow in significance across the Old Testament to become really the kind of, the the key uh, point of of Old Testament theology. So you've got this idea of of the tabernacle of God being the dwelling place of God amongst men. And then you've got the temple of of God, uh, which of course was built by Solomon in Jerusalem. And that place where heaven and earth collide. But this is the first uh, reference to that kind of thing uh, really early on in the Bible. And there's some things here which I think help us to understand what that's supposed to be and uh, in what ways uh, we're supposed to uh, engage uh, with it. Uh, But also some of the tendencies uh, that uh, human beings have when they get into the presence of God. And what we can see here is at the end of the story, if we can start there, that For all the amazing wonders that Jacob has just seen in his dream, when he, and for all that he has recognized that, wow, this is the house of God, this is God, this is his presence, this is this gateway to heaven, what he does in reaction to that are just basically a few religious things. He he, he, he tries to make a deal with God. If 
if you, okay, well, if, I know you've given me this huge promise that I never even asked for and I don't deserve, but, but if, if you keep that promise, which I, by the way, you just made without me asking it, but if you keep that, then, then I'll give you 10% of all that I earn as if God needed it. You know, the, and, and, and he set, sets up this stone and, and we thinking, well, you know, what would be the religious thing to do right now? I know I'll, you know, get some olive oil, pour it on it. Hey, done the religious thing. And we see that actually there will always be this tendency in people. Uh, and it's, it's true throughout the Old Testament and the New. And it's true throughout church history to take this wonderful revelation of God colliding with earth and turn it into a religious thing. Where, you know, okay, well, somehow I'll take this extraordinary moment of grace and I'll turn it into me bartering with God to get what I want in life. That if you will only do this for me, I will give you something which you don't really need. But let's pretend you do. Because it will make me feel better. I will set up this slightly ridiculous stone and I will pour, you know, some extra virgin olive oil on it. And it will make me feel like I have performed my religious duty. But in fact, what we need to see, first of all, and what we need to see in terms of our discussion about what the church is, that, that fundamentally, this is a place and a moment created by grace. Jacob is a man on the run, as we've said. He's a double dealer. He's a schemer. He's not a particularly nice guy. And if you look at the rest of his life, he doesn't really become a nice guy. I mean, you've got to look really hard for the positive moments in Jacob's life right to the end. He never really becomes the great man that we kind of want him to be. This, and this is maybe one of the lowest points in his life. Afraid, alone, he's fled his family, he's left all his possessions. He has literally nothing to offer anyone far less God. And yet it is at this moment when he is too tired to stay awake that he falls asleep and God comes to him. And it's so interesting that what God, what God promises him in this moment is actually the very thing that he has been scheming and wrestling for up until this point in his life. You see, Jacob was born into a family who had a, I mean, he had a slightly crazy dad. Some of us have got slightly crazy dads, but, but Jacob Jacob's dad had this promise 
that God, had, that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, had given him that actually through his family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so there would be one that would carry this promise down the generations. And then his wife went and had twins. How much easier would it be if she just had one kid? And Abraham, because he often got it wrong too, naturally assumed that God's choice would be his choice, i.e. the kid that he liked better. So he, he kind of put all this promise on Esau, on Jacob's big brother. Imagine what it must have been like to grow up in that family, where it's kind of Esau is the man. He is, he, is the boy, he is the golden child. He's the one of promise. He's the one who's carrying this messianic hope to the next generation. He's the one who's going to, he is literally going to save the world. Jacob, you're great too, but your brother's going to save the world. Sorry. What must have been like to grow up and hear your dad speak that way about your brother, but never speak that way about you? Maybe that's why he was such a schemer. He was so desperate for that approval of his father, so desperate to actually, why can't it be me? You see, he didn't know that God had already chosen him. What does God say to him in this dream? He said, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the north and the south. And in your offspring shall all the families of the world be blessed. Almost exactly the same promise that God gave to his dad. Suddenly he gets, he hears the thing that he's always wanted to hear. The thing that's been spoken over his brother all these years. At the lowest moment in his life. This is a place of grace. It is a place of entirely unmerited favor. When you have nothing to give, you hear the promise that you'd always hoped to hear. It is also not only a place of grace, but a place, as we've said before, where heaven and earth collide. It says that the were angels of God ascending and descending. I don't know why I said that like an American. Ascending and descending. (laughs) I don't know. Anyone know? No, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, (laughs) It's bound to be one American in the room and I'm going to offend them. Uh, So... Yeah. Um, so it's the place where there is an exchange, there's an interaction between heaven and earth. Uh, the theologian N.T. Wright tells a story about when he was really sick when he was a, a boy. And he was lying in his bed uh, and he couldn't leave his bed for weeks. And so what his mum did was he, he or she set up a, a mirror in his room 
so that he could look from his bed through this mirror and through the rest of the house and see people coming and going. Uh, And of course, they could look down the corridor and see the mirror and see their son lying in bed. And what he says is that this is what it means for people to bear the image of God. This is what it means for the church to be the royal priesthood. That we, do you know that when we worshipped, when we worshipped this morning, we represented creation before the throne of God. That's what we did. That's what priests do. They represent the people. We represented the, fact, the, the, the reality that one day all of creation will worship him. That, that, that when the birds sing in the morning and wake you up, they are worshiping God. We are representing God before the throne. We're representing a creation before the throne of God. But we are also representing God to the world. There's this exchange between heaven and earth. It's interesting that, that Jesus, um, in, in, in John uh, chapter 1, Jesus says this of himself when he's calling uh, Philip and Nathaniel, uh, his two of his disciples. He says this in John 1 chapter 51, sorry, John uh, chapter 1 verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Referencing this exact place in Scripture. What's he saying? He's saying that now he is the place where heaven and earth interact. He is the place where the resources and the shalom of heaven flow into the world. And ultimately what that's saying is that now you are the place where heaven and earth interact, intersect. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, you are the place where the angels ascend and descend. You are the place where the shalom of heaven flows out into those around you. You are the place where the blessing of being in the presence of the father of all this reaches your next door neighbor. You are the place where the justice of heaven is done. You know, these things that you watch in the news and you think someone should do something about that. You are the justice of heaven. You are, you are the justice of heaven. You know, wouldn't it be great if, if aside, you know, alongside um, raising up an army of people who were kind of performing signs and wonders and making uh, normal mir- the miraculous, we were also raising up a group of people who were prepared to walk into the big spheres of the world and bring justice to oppressed people 
to marginalized people, to people who have been forgotten and downtrodden by this world. People who are actually going to be, be those who would stand up for people who don't have a voice. Why? Because, because you are justice. You are the justice of heaven. You are the peace of heaven. You are the shalom of living in the presence of God. It's a place created by grace. It's a place, place where the heaven and earth intersect. It's a place of intimacy. I love um, that section where, where uh, Jacob sees the ladder and he, he kind of, he, he's kind of overwhelmed by this vision. And then it says, and behold, the Lord stood beside him. You see, the church should be that kind of place where the Lord, we are aware of the Lord standing beside us. Where other people become aware of God standing beside them in a way that they they, they, they wouldn't otherwise have known. Not a, not a religious ceremony, not a kind of a, a, a process that we go through, but actually the sense that, that God is with them, is beside them. He goes on and says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And of course, we hear the echo of that centuries later. When Christ says to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples and I will be with you to the very end of the age. It's a place of, of presence. It's a place of, of intimacy. It's a place where he is alongside you and he is with you. A place of connection where he will not leave you. It's also a place, and we've seen this already this morning, of incredible worship in response to this amazing vision of God being with us, of God being alongside us, of God never leaving us. Jacob says, how awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? You know, surely... God is here and I never knew it. Again, we hear the echo of that in, in Paul's writings, where he talks about prophecy disclosing the secrets of our hearts and people falling down in, our, in, in the midst and saying, surely God is here. Surely God is among you. That awareness, that awareness that God is not far. You see, that in the end is really, to me, the function of God's people. To really demonstrate to the world that God is not far away. You see, the world sometimes have God so far away that he doesn't exist. <laughs> but those who do have him in their cosmology very often don't have them as intimate. Even those people who have him 
able to perform miracles don't even always have them as intimate. Because you see, a miracle can be this kind of uh, surprising, sudden, uh, once-in-a-lifetime thing where God intervenes in, in human history and does something for you and then retreats back to the distance that was previously there. You know, when we talk about miracles, we're not talking about a God who occasionally drops in to heal someone and then disappears again. We're talking about the reality that God is here right now. And so miracles happen all the time, or at least should do. Because he's, he's, he's here. And the church is here to say, listen, God is not far from you. He's right, he's right up close. And he wants to know you. This, this is what Jesus, when it says in, 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 in the first chapter of John that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That at that moment of the incarnation, God stepped into human history. He became, he joined himself to people forever. And when he was resurrected, he was resurrected in bodily form, not in some kind of ethereal, ghostly way, but so that he could sit on the beach and eat broiled fish. Why? Because, you know, he said, he said to Thomas, you know, t- put your hands in the, fingers in the holes of my hands. I'm a real, I'm flesh and blood. I'm a real person. God has has joined himself to humanity and he remains joined and will forever be joined to humanity. He is not far from us. Paul writes that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For too long the church has lived Managing a separation through religious acts. Doing a bit of a Jacob. If, the, if you do this, then we'll do this. If you're as good as you say you are, and frankly we don't trust you, so I'm going to give it a few years to test it out, then we will do this. Then we will take our oil and pour it on the stone and give you 10% of our money. Managing the separation. But when Jesus becomes a man, when God becomes a man, he's saying there is no separation. And God is not as far from people as they imagine. And that is, it is the job of the church to display that down uh, to, to the world. It is a place where the greatest dreams that people have about themselves are both subverted and surpassed. Jacob, as we've said, had always dreamed of being the child of promise. 
And actually, all people are a little bit like this. This is why we tell stories like Harry Potter, where Harry, you know, was living with this muggle family and thinking to himself, I don't fit in around here. And why am I living with this bunch of people who don't seem to care about me? And I feel like that I was born for something more of this, more than this. And somebody comes along with a big beard and says, you're a wizard, Harry. You know, it's, it's, it's why we tell stories about, um, about princes who are imprisoned in a beastly form, but can be set free by the love of a beautiful woman. Because it's why, we, it's why throughout the centuries we've told stories about Jack as a little farm boy planting a seed that reaches up to heaven. And discovering that actually he's not a farm boy at all, but the son of a great king. It's why we tell ourselves these stories and have told ourselves these stories down the centuries. Because inside all of us, there is this thought that actually I was born for more than this. And there's a world that just seems so close, but I, I just can't touch it. in which I can be fully who I was supposed to be. The church is that place where people can come or should be able to come with with a dream of themselves. And they discover that actually in God, suddenly that dream that they thought was huge and wild and and I hope that would happen one day is utterly tiny and paltry and small and insignificant next to the reality of who we are in Christ. You see, Jacob really wanted to be, really he wanted to be his dad's favorite. And God said, you'll be the father of a great nation and all the families, all the families of the world will be blessed in you. You just want your own family to be right. But in fact, I am going to make you a blessing for every family that ever lived. Now in that moment, you think... My dream looks, suddenly looks pretty small. Now, if you haven't been overwhelmed with God's dream for you, listen again. Because it's bigger than you think it is. It has to be so big that you can't achieve it on your own. It has to be so big that when you wake up from the dream, you say... How awesome is this place? And, and then say, is, he says somewhere, doesn't he? He says, he was really scared. I'm sure he says that somewhere in there. 
It has to be so big that you feel, ha, I can't do that on my own. That's what the church should be. A place of people who are just waking up from a dream and going, wow, that was awesome. So big that it throws them back into God. It's a, the church has to be the place where thieves are turned into fathers. Where, where, where people who are forgotten are made central. Where people who are marginalized are brought in close. It has to be the place where people who are broken apprehend a vision of themselves that is whole because God says they are. It has to be that kind of transformative place, a place of dreams, a place of grace, a place where heaven and earth collide, a place where we are intimate with God, a place of connection. Now, we are never going to display that world, that reality to the world, unless, of course, that reality is first present in ours. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to lift people into big dreams unless we ourselves have first been lifted into big dreams. We're not going to be a place of grace unless we first have experienced that level of shocking, outrageous, this is awesome, grace. This is a reality that has to happen. Heaven has to come to us before it will ever come to those around us. Or rather, the awareness of heaven has to come to us before the awareness of heaven will come to those around us. Because you see, if you're in Christ, heaven does reside in you. As a reality, as an objective reality, and it is the awareness of that that is the transformative moment. Just as it was for Jacob. I, this is God's house and I never knew it. What could you discover about yourself that you never knew this morning? What could you discover about what's going on inside you that you never realized? I never realized all this time. God, you were here. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment and invite him and see what he does. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're here, Father. 
Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us. Lord, you know where we're running to and where we're running from. Lord, you know the secrets of our heart, the things that we hope for, the things that we dream for. Father, you know the messes and the brokenness as well as the successes and the achievements. But you are here, Lord, and the ladder is in our own hearts. And all the resources of heaven are available to go up and down and flow into us. And Father, more than that, you're standing beside us and saying that you will never leave us. And more than that, that you will, you will use us mightily to bring your blessing to the whole world. Lord, this is your church. Lord, this is your family. This is your house. Lord, this is throughout the world, but, but here as well. This is your house, Lord. Come and, and speak to us, Lord, this morning. God, put dreams in our hearts of what we could be in you. God, shatter the dreams that we have for ourselves with a greater promise that only you can fulfill. Lord God, fill us with your spirit.